Everybody awake this morning? A few of you. All right. Some of you still need to get your coffee, right? But uh, at the risk of dating myself and also provoking you to singing in your head, um, if you're a person of a certain age, i.e. my age, uh, and you grew up in uh, the 80s, you remember the rock band Extreme and a particular song that was on for weeks and weeks and weeks on all the radio stations called More Than Words. All right? And it, the last line was, and then you wouldn't have to say that you love me because I would already know. All right? You need more than words, more than just a claim in order to... Um, in order to make the point that you actually do love someone. Amen? Words are nice, but if they're not undergirded by action, then it all becomes a little hollow, right? Um, I bring that up, uh, not at random, but because that's part of what we're talking about today. Uh, as we come to the book of James in chapter 2, uh, this morning, we're going to look at one of the most well-known passages in the Bible, but we also want to look very carefully because it has often confused a lot of people. And some people, when they read it, make a very serious error and think that James is saying the opposite of the Apostle Paul and that salvation is available by uh, faith plus works. In other words, believe in Jesus and do all these things, right? That's a very serious error. Uh, you, will, you will not and cannot even theoretically obtain salvation by doing good, good works, okay? The Bible clearly tells us what to do to obtain salvation, which is put your faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And the Bible rigorously and repeatedly combats the worldly notion that getting to heaven, how many of you all heard this? Well, I, I think when I get to heaven, my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds, and that'll mean I get in. Or, you know, I've really done more good deeds than bad deeds, and so that'll mean that, you know, I'm like coming out ahead on this, and uh, I'll get into heaven that way. Okay? The Bible repeatedly says there is no such thing that is required. In fact, that will definitely not work as a means for getting into heaven. Because first of all, your good deeds and your bad deeds are not canceled out by one another. Right? Let me give you just one example. If you, uh, let's say that you um, get pulled over out here on 29 for going 87 miles an hour. Uh, in that 35, and uh, you and you and it's because you are late to get here for church, right? I mean, some people. Um, uh, and so, uh, so anyway, the, the cop pulls you over and he says, "Do you know how fast you were going?" And be like, "Hard to say." You know, I thought we were going to go back in time, uh, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, um, you know, I'm trying to get to church and, uh, you know, and he says, well, look, I've got to not only give you a ticket, but I need to revoke your license for reckless driving. I mean, you're way over the speed limit. If you say to the cop, well, as a matter of fact, I understand that what the law says is this. 
But, you know, I'm on my way to church with Pastor Joe at Chillicothe Bible Church, and it's really good. And on top of that, I visit my mother at the nursing home twice a week, and I give away 10% of my income to Christian causes around the world and to the church, and I'm really a good person. You should let me off with just a warning. What's the comp going to do? He's going to get on the horn with the station and have you arrested. That's what he's going to do, right? Because your good deeds that you do don't cancel out the wickedness you have just done. You understand what I'm saying? Same thing is tr- the same thing is true here in the legal realm uh, is true as it relates to the Lord too. His, his standard is 100% righteousness. You're not as righteous as He is, you don't get into heaven. Now that presents a problem, right? Because none of us are. So, what is the Gospel? The Gospel is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And when you believe in Him, you are credited with Jesus' righteousness. So it's like His righteousness is put in your bank account. And now you have all the resources you need to be a child of God. Right? That's the Gospel. So, the Gospel is not faith plus do good stuff. Alright? At the same time, you know, if that's a ditch on one side of the road, the ditch on the other side of the road is that simply claiming to believe in Jesus is, it is in and of itself sufficient to have saving faith. In other words, it doesn't matter what I do, it's only what I say with my mouth. But as the great theologian Extreme said, you need more than words. Right? There needs to be there needs to be a consistency between what you what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of your life. Because if there's not been any change in your life, it's because there's not been any change in your heart. And it's heart change through genuine faith in Jesus Christ that determines whether or not your faith is real. And that's what James is addressing here. So the Bible, again, rigorously and repeatedly makes clear this idea that, well, it doesn't matter what I do, it only matters what I say. Is not true. So, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The obvious answer is no. A little further on, same passage, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. A little further on, Jesus says the same thing in this famous illustration that we all know. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. We all remember the wise man built his house on the rock, right? And what happened, young ones, to the guy who built his house on the sand? His house went smash, right? When the rain came down and the flood came up, the house on the sand went smash. And it did not last. Why? Because even though the house looked good, it had no foundation in anything solid. It was a verbal claim to know and follow Jesus without any underlying heart reality. So, 
Um, how great a tragedy it must be to get to the end of your life saying, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. And stand before the Lord and hear Him say, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. You are not one of mine. And James is very deeply concerned as, as a pastor that none of his people that he is writing to will ever hear those words. That they will have an authentic faith. An authentic faith in Jesus and in Him alone that is more than simply the words of their mouth, but actually is the result of the powerful Holy Spirit taking up residence in their heart and changing them from the inside out. Because faith produces good works. It is not, it's not that I have to believe in Jesus and do a bunch of good stuff, buy a bunch of Girl Scout cookies, etc., believe in Jesus and, and walk an old lady across the street once a week, you know, or any of that, okay, it's believe in Jesus. But if you authentically believe in Jesus, then it will change your life. And it is more than words. So, we want to avoid the ditches and stay true to the Scriptures, right? Uh, so, both errors carry very serious, very, very much eternal consequences. And James is written to help us stay out of the ditches and stay true to the Gospel, and stay faithful to the Lord. So, uh, we he has in this book some things we need to hear and see and heed. And so if you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to look with me at James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. And if you're able, uh, please stand. This is what the Word of God says. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help me to be clear about what your word is saying to us, your people, and that none of us would be confused about what it means to really know and love and follow Jesus, to really place our trust in him, and to experience authentic faith that transforms 
as you intend for us to know and to believe and to experience. And Father, we pray that you will be with us in this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. Well, look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, uh, you don't need to know exactly all the details on this, but I will tell you that grammatically in the Greek text that underlies our English Bible, um, there's a structure to those phrases, those questions. And the implied answer to both questions is what? No. What, what good is it uh, if someone has faith and doesn't have works? It's no good. Can that faith save him? No, it can't, is the implied answer to both of those questions. Uh, genuine faith produces good works consistent with that belief. In verses 15 to 16, James is giving us a practical illustration of his point. How much good does a hungry person or a naked person receive when you say to them, be warmed and filled, and that's all you do? Do they get warmer? No. Does it meet the needs of their body for, for warmth and clothing? No. That's useless sentiment, in other words, right? It doesn't accomplish anything practical and real for that person's benefit. In the same way, empty words you say with your mouth. Well, I believe in I believe in Jesus. Really? Well, then how come you live like a child of the devil? If you actually believe in Jesus, then there should be a consistency between the faith you profess to have and the life that you live. Okay? Otherwise, it is empty as saying to a guy who is hungry and naked, be warmed and filled and doing nothing to help him. It's just empty words that don't do anybody any good. Saying the right words about Jesus is not faith. Real faith is followed by action, which is what James is saying in verse 17 when he says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's the empty words of a person who makes a claim that doesn't line up with what they do. Just a hollow statement. The person of it... Uh, person who says, I'm a Christian, but whose life reveals they are no such thing, is not a person of faith. They are not a believer. Now, I know this is, I know this is hard for some of y'all, but let me just share with you that this is not unique to James. Okay? Jesus told a story about a, a farmer who went out and planted a wheat field, and then as the wheat started to come up, what came up alongside the wheat? Tares. And he uses a specific kind of weed. It's called the darnel, or and it's usually translated in most Bibles as tear. And you know what the, th the deal is with wheat and tares? When they're coming up, they both look the same. They both look the same. 
But once they get ahead on them, and it's almost time for harvest, then you can easily tell. That's wheat. That's a wheat. Right? And so, in other words, the characteristics of the thing reveal themselves over time. Right? The true Christians sin sometimes? Sure. Right? Um, the non-Christians sin sometimes? Sure. So how do you tell the difference between a, a, a person with fake faith, claimed faith, and but no real faith, and a real Christian who also sins sometimes? How do you tell the difference? Well, it's not immediately apparent. But over time, you can tell by the direction of someone's life and what fruit it starts to bear, right? Um, so, your actions do reveal the, the, whether you possess the faith you profess. That's the point of verses 18-26. to Someone will say uh, that, hey, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. What James is, is giving here in verse 18 is a hypothetical, an, an objection that somebody might raise. Well, James, are you saying that faith isn't necessary if, I, if you got works? Is that what you're saying? I mean, you have faith, I have works. James says, look, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Let me explain. Show me your faith apart from your works. What he's saying is this. If all you can point to is your good works, then you aren't saved. You must have faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. And you must have faith in Him alone, not in any good thing that you do. You can't run the spiritual life backwards, in other words, and say, well, I'm going to do all these good things and then that will gain me heaven. No. What James is saying is this, I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, I'll show you my faith in Jesus is real because what I've said with my mouth and, and that I believe in my heart is how I live. That's how I live. Jesus said um, that, hang on just a second, I'm, I, I had it and lost it. He said, he said this, the one who has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. He is the one who loves me. And I too will love him and show myself to him. The one who has my commandments and keeps them. In verses 19 and 20, James is confronting those who might argue, well, look, I have orthodox beliefs about God, and so therefore I must be a Christian. After all, I believe the Shema from Deuteronomy, etc. Right? Uh, the great Shema is, begins, Hero Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. In other words, there is only one God in all of the world, and all the other claimants to be God are false. It's the central tenet of of a Hebrew ancient Hebrew person's faith is is what's called the Shema, 
because from the word hear. Hear that the word that the Lord is God and there is no other. Right? And he's saying, well, look, what about the person who has orthodox beliefs about God? And James says, well, that's good. But there's a difference between believing that the things the Bible says are true and believing in them. You, you hear, hear the difference? It's not just that change in preposition. Believing that they are true and putting your trust in them is a very different thing. And so, for example, he says, look, even the demons believe that. In other words, the demonic realm is full of, of, of uh, completely orthodox demonic theologians. They all know who God is. They all know what God is like in far better detail than you do. They all know who Jesus is. They all know that He died on the cross for sin and that He was raised from the dead. They all know that. They all know that Jesus is the reigning King who is returning and that He will set up His kingdom uh, which will never end and that they will be cast into hell. And they all know that. They're excellent theologians. But their knowledge has neither changed them nor saved them. Amen? Their heart remains in rebellion, which is why James says they shudder. They know that God's wrath will one day fall on them, but mere knowledge of the truth is not sufficient to save anyone. In the same way, believing that the Gospel is true is different from believing in Jesus as your Savior. You do need to know the truth about Jesus intellectually. You need to know Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead. Those are, those are facts that you need to know. But simply knowing that those things are true does not result in salvation. What results in salvation is trusting in Jesus. In giving Him your life and not merely your intellectual assent to what the Bible says is true. And believing that the Gospel is true and believing that that is the same as believing it for yourself and putting your trust in it makes you a foolish person. They are not interchangeable. Right? Believing that Jesus did these things and believing in Jesus who did these things for me is a very different thing. And that brings us to verses 21 to 24, which speak to us about Abraham's faith. A lot of people struggle to understand these verses because at first glance, they seem to be saying the opposite of what Paul says in Romans 3 about how Abraham was saved. And to make things even more complicated, both Paul in Romans 3 and James here in James 2 both quote the same passage. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So I want to unpack these verses with you carefully. But you need to understand before we do that what's happening in the book of Genesis when this verse appears. In Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham, look, you will be 
the Father to many nations. And I will bless those who bless you, and you will be, and through whom through you will come the blessing to all the nations of the world. And he was telling him that you will be further down the line, the ancestor of Messiah, the blessing to all nations. But several years after that passed, and Abraham became very wealthy, but also old, and he had no children. And so in Genesis 15, God speaks to Abraham in a vision. He says, Hi Abraham, I am the Lord your God, your very great reward. And Abraham pushes back and says, Oh Lord, what can you give me? For I continue to be childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. In other words, and not even a blood relative. This is guy, this guy is like his chief servant, the steward of the house. And God answers. And God tells him, No, Abraham, Eliezer will not be your heir, but a son born from your own body. At this point, Abraham is 90 years old. And he's like, Lord, would you like to take odds on that? <laughs> okay. Um, but God tells him, look, go outside the tent and look up at the sky and count the stars. See how many you get up to. Because you will have as many offspring as visible stars you can see. And at that moment, the text says, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. So, back to James. And James then talks about, well, wait a minute, hang on. Uh, he was justified by sacrificing Isaac? What is that? Hold on, where is that coming from, right? And what James is pointing out is that because Abraham was willing to go through the sacrifice of Isaac, it certified and testified and revealed to be real the faith he expressed in Genesis chapter 15. That he believed God's promise. Let me explain. In Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about this same incident that Abraham had to believe God and he had been told, remember in Genesis 15, you're going to have a son from your own body and through him a multitude of descendants, as many as the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed God, right? And then fast forward another decade and Abraham and Sarah have their little miracle baby, Isaac, right? And then 15 years after that, God tells Abraham, take your boy and go sacrifice him on the mountain I will show you. And Hebrews explains and says that, what, that Abraham reasoned this out. And, said, and he said to himself, well, this is the boy that God promised me would come and that would have, be the father of all the descendants I'm supposed to have. And God also told me very clearly, go over there and kill him. How is this going to work? Well, God can raise the dead. So that must be what's going to happen. So he tells the servants that go with him, 
to the sacrifice. You guys stay here. The boy and I are going to go over there and sacrifice, and then we, will, we, the two of us, are coming back. Right? Abraham's belief was revealed in the actions that he took. You feel me? What he really believed became evident by the fact that he obeyed consistent with his faith. And, it's, and the same point that James is making here, um, point James is making here about, about Abraham is the same one he's been making. That the kind of faith that doesn't act on and in response to a, what a person says that they believe is fake and false and dead. It's because Abraham believed God all the way back in Genesis 15 that he was then willing to obey God in Genesis 22, 25 years later. After Isaac had not only been born, but was a teenager. And God called Abraham his friend because the action of going in obedience to sacrifice revealed that his faith was genuine. His faith was genuine. Now, look at verse 24. I want to... Tackle this one head on, okay? You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, if you have Roman Catholic friends, this is their favorite verse. They're having a discussion with you about. And they will say, see, Luther and Calvin and all you Protestants are wrong. Salvation is not by faith alone. But that isn't what James means. What James means is that real faith produces actions consistent with your belief. It's more than words. It's not mere intellectual assent to the truth. It's belief that results in action based on it. Abraham was saved by faith alone. But the reality of his faith becomes apparent not by his claims to having faith, but by what he did when his faith was put to a serious test. Right? So, some of you are old enough to remember uh, the Columbine incident, 1999. Two boys walked into a high school outside of uh, Denver, Colorado, in Littleton, and went around at random shooting people. Remember this? One of the scariest things probably that's ever happened. There have been copycats since, but this is kind of the the fountainhead of that cultural mess. And one of the things they did was they walked up to a girl whose name was Rachel, stuck a gun in her face, and said, are you a believer in Jesus? And she said, yes, at which point they pulled the trigger. Now, what does that answer require? Faith that is real. You feel me? This is what James is talking about. If your faith is real, you act consistent with it when the pressure's on. And the pressure is on these people that are getting this letter from him. These are people who have lost their homes. These are people who have been, who have been disowned by their families. These are people who all the incentives would be to say, 
I'm going to punt this whole Christianity thing and go back to Judaism where I can at least fit in with my community and not lose all my relationships and my job and my house. When the pressure's on, what do you do with the faith you profess? If your faith is real, you take action consistent with what you say you believe. Amen? Amen. Alright, so James in verse 25 extends the argument by referring to Rahab the prostitute. I'm really glad he refers to Rahab because I'm not sure I can live up to Abraham, but like the prostitute, okay, I think I might, <laughs> might be able to have, a, have faith like her at least. Right? Rahab took a real risk in hiding the spies that went in to Jericho and she sent them out by a different direction than the one that was being taken by the search party, the posse that's looking for them. The other citizens of Jericho could have killed her, but she took the risk because she had come to believe in the God of Israel. By the way, when they meet her, she is not a prostitute anymore. She has become a spinner of linen cloth. How do I know that? Because she has flax drying on the roof of her house and she hides them under the bundles of flax. And so she has left her former life and has got a new occupation. Nevertheless, she's known in the Scriptures consistently as Rahab the prostitute. It's Rahab the former prostitute who becomes part of the lineage of Jesus. She marries into the Israelite family and then is the ancestor of King David and then the ancestor of of Jesus Himself, right? Her belief, the point is that her belief was proven true. It was proven to not be just intellectual assent or words in her mouth, but proven by the actions that she took. And James concludes with a final example. As the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Um, think about that for just a minute. What makes someone either alive or dead? Well, there's a part of us that we can't see. Right? Part of us that doesn't show up on any of the my chart stuff that you might have. Uh, you know, they can't, they can, they can look, look at your pancreas, they can look at your appendix, they can look at all this stuff internally, right? And see all of that and see whether it's functioning and run blood tests and all that kind of stuff, right? Where's your spirit located? Well, it's not in any of the physical things, right? But when your spirit departs from your body, that's what death is, right? There's a rip in your personhood that's not supposed to be that way, by the way. That's not, what God, that's not the way that the world was created to be. We were supposed to live forever in God's presence. The reason our bodies die is because of sin. Right? And, and the effects of sin on the world are massive. And so our bodies die. And our spirit and our body are divided. Now one day, we're going to have our bodies rise from the grave. That's why I tried to work out an arrangement with the city. Uh, when I get a, a, a cemetery plot, I just want to rent it. Right? I don't want to buy it. I'm not living there forever. My body's going to come up out of that hole. 
and it's going to be transformed, and I'm going to live forever in the presence of God. Now they 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 don't they're not great theologians down at that office, okay? But <laughs> that is the reality, right? That one day our bodies are going to rise and our spirits are going to be with Him. But when the when the spirit leaves the body, that's death, right? And that's James' point that the body without the spirit is dead. Something that's invisible but real makes us who we are as people. We're not just bodies. We're body and a spirit. And when you separate the two, there's death. When death occurs, the spirit departs and leaves a dead body behind. But when the spirit is gone, the body doesn't do anything. Right? There's something invisible that you can't locate on any test. But when it's not there, the body doesn't do anything. In the same way, faith in Jesus is invisible. But when it's present, you can see its effects. And when it's absent, you can also see that effect. So, at the risk of beating a horse that is thoroughly deceased, uh, I want to make sure that nobody misses the point. Here's what we need to remember. Okay, I'm just going to ask one question and then make another point. What do your actions reveal about what you actually do? What do your actions reveal about what you really believe? If you read the book of Hebrews, Okay, it's all whole chapter all about faith, and it gives you this long list of all these people. But it's interesting; very, very few of them does it identify what they actually believe. It highlights over and over and over again what they did because of what they did, as the indicator that their faith was real. So you get, uh, for example, by faith Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. It's about actions. By faith, Abraham left his father's house and his country and went to the land that God would show him. By faith, Moses left behind being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and all the pleasures and riches of Egypt to go throw his lot in with the people of God. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, all these things. They, it was what they did that showed that their faith was real. So here, it's obvious that Abraham really believed in God's promise to him because in obedience to God's command, he willingly went to sacrifice the same son through whom God told him would come a vast multitude of descendants. Rahab's faith became apparent when she hid the spies and protected them. And, and you'll see again, as you look through a passage like Hebrews 11, over and over in every example of faith that you see, you see that their belief produced action consistent with it. So, let me ask again. As you look at your heart and your life, what does your life reveal about what you actually believe in? Don't merely acknowledge Jesus as being really the Son of God without putting your trust in Him. 
Because knowing, this is the other point I want to make, knowing the content of the Gospel does not save you. Knowing what the Gospel is does not save anyone. Believing that the Bible says true things about Jesus' death and resurrection, that is not saving faith. There's a huge eternal difference in believing that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and was rose, rose from the dead to give you new life. And believing in Jesus who did these things for you. One is acknowledgement of the truth that it's true. The other is reliance on and trust in that truth for your life now and for your eternal hope. And that is the kind of belief that actually changes you from the inside out from this moment on. So, beloved, hear me when I say this. You may have gone a long time representing yourself to be a Christian. You come to church here maybe every week. You participate in Bible studies. And, and, you, and you are coming to the moment right here where you realize, well, I have believed that Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins. But I never really believed in Him before now. Go ahead and do that. And don't be embarrassed about it. Because we will all be so excited that you have crossed from death to life. That you have experienced the real thing after all this time. And if you're a visitor here with us and you've never known who Jesus was and you didn't understand the Gospel until right now, let me explain it again to you. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Stake your hope, your eternal destiny. Give Him your life. And He will give you eternal life. He will give you eternal life makes all the difference in the world. So, with all that said, let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, this passage confronts us and challenges us and in some cases rebukes us, but it also calls some of us to a task because we know that we know some people who um, who say, that they're believers. Maybe they're our kids who once upon a time professed faith in Jesus and have lived like a child of the devil ever since. And we recognize that at this moment that they're probably not saved. And so we need to get them the Gospel. Father, I pray that You would motivate us for that task. That You would cause us to look carefully at ourselves and to recognize that believing the historical truth about what you have accomplished in Jesus is not the same as putting your trust in it for salvation. Father, help us to understand the difference and help us to receive the genuine faith in Jesus that transforms. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.